1: Log Talk Radio.
2: To Patricia Adams Live. We are on the air with Linda Dane, author of Same Enough. Same Enough is Linda's autobiography that she drafted 24 times over a 24 year period. And I'm glad that she was able to write the story, that she was able to publish a story. And while she was busy doing that, how many of you really know what was going on in your life? Linda talks about a very difficult time in a child's life, and she goes on to speak about the effect that it had on her on every level of her life. And it is a spiritual journey, it's a mental journey, it's a a physical journey, but When I'm reading her book, I'm very much aware of her surroundings. I'm literally like an observer in her life, and that's the way the book is written. For me, having had similar experiences to her, I am literally moving through her life with her as a conscious and aware observer of what it is to survive, what it is to overcome, what it is to thrive, what it is to fail and not know why you're failing, to know that you have this sense of something's not right, but you're not sure what's not right and why it's not quite right. She navigates motherhood. She navigates uh, navigates being a wife. She navigates being a daughter. She navigates being a sister but she makes you aware of the pain and the conflict that's going on inside of her through every stage of her life. And it is reflective. It is something that needs to be read by everybody and anybody who is a father, who is a mother, a sister, a brother, an uncle, auntie, grandparent, friend, pastor, counselor, anyone who has any type of exposure to people in the public sector, in the private sector. This is a book that needs to be read. And if I were teaching in a university, I would have it as a required reading. If I were teaching in a Bible college, I would have it as a required reading. Whatever aspect. Of industry that you're in, no matter what it is, if you're not a teacher or instructor or anything, if you are a parent, it's something that needs to be read because you're interacting with other children, you're interacting with other parents, and when you look at the pictures that Linda shares so freely in her book of her sibling, of her mother, her father, of different aspects and stages of her life, you look and you see a June Cleaver life. All the things that you would expect to see in an American family. I'm not going to get into race or anything. This is what you would expect to see. This is what I grew up being taught family looked like. This is what we were taught in school. We were taught in church that it was a mom, and dad, and maybe what they, they said, have children, a white fence, all these kinds of things. And yet inside of this glass house that Linda has, put up before us to talk about what was going on inside of this glass house that was not obvious to someone on the outside. It was not obvious to herself. Even. She, she there's, there's so many pieces of this. And I want for the listener today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you listen to this, broadcast this is Linda's second time on the show and I would have her on as often as I possibly can because you cannot do her book justice in one show you can't do it justice in two shows because every time I read it every time I reread something that I already read it changes not the book, not the word, not the text, but my understanding and my comprehension of what it's like to live the life that she lived as a child and then to grow up and navigate a, an adult life and then go through all of the normal things that are expected of a female child to do to get married, to have children, to go on and have a career to interact with society and do all the things that people are expected to do in polite society. Look the part, act the part, dress the part, but on the inside, there's turmoil, there's confusion, there's conflict, because now you have someone who has been damaged and they have Fall into the arms of someone else who's just as damaged, if not more damaged than they are, and raise a family and everything, doing what was expected of what it is to be, quote unquote, a normal American family or an American family outside of America. You could be anywhere. This is the traditions that you were taught, mother, father. 2.5 2.5 children and, and all of these other things and this is what makes you a family but when she talks about the void in her life growing up as a child and later having this kind of explode and implode in her life as she navigates being a wife a mother, and a sibling to another sister who doesn't embrace the reality that Linda is talking about. Linda is saying, you know, this happened to me. This not only happened to me, it happened to you, too, sister. But sister says, no, it didn't. It, It didn't happen to her. And in some ways, That's like, okay, well, if it didn't happen to you, then maybe it didn't happen to me, and so maybe I made this up. But there's no way to make up the kinds of things. Let me me roll back. There is a way to make it up. But coming from somebody who has the receipts of life that I have, I don't see this as being made up or... Pretending or projecting or putting anything out into the sake because it it it, she, it was not something that she has gained national acclaim for, national wealth for, or anything to that level. And normally, when something is contrived, it's looking for a different audience. It's looking for a totally different response from John Q. Public. And I hope that you will get her book, that you will make this subject become viral as it needs to become viral. In the midst of all that we're going through, it's time for change. There's a song that says, um, you know, uh, you can't stay the same. The young become the old. Everything must change. Everything must change. It is time for this country, for this world, for the systems of this world to take a hard look at the things that they don't want to look at. And that's the part that is very hard because you have someone screaming and crying out for help and it's falling on ears that are too Plugged up with what they think they know, what they think they should hear you say. They should never hear a woman has abused her children. They should never hear that, therefore, it doesn't exist. And if I do hear it, then she's only spanked her. She's only um, punishing her. She's only disciplining her because she needs to be disciplined. But... Say that a mother has sexually abused her child, and that's a whole different story because a woman isn't equipped to sexually abuse her child. Another female isn't equipped to sexually abuse another human being because she doesn't have the appendage of what we perceive as required to sexually abuse another human being. I have the receipt, so does Linda. And tonight we're gonna to talk about the things that this little girl has endured what she came through as a woman now, I'm living her life still. And I'm glad that she's alive and that she is not succumbed to the pandemic or the fear or the dread of the pandemic, because I believe that what we're facing right now is something that I haven't asked Linda this question. I'm just going to put it out there. Someone who has gone through what she's gone through has already been through a pandemic. (laughs) So I don't believe that her response to this pandemic would be the same as someone who has had a regular life. Um, Because people who have gone through trauma, you've already dealt with all different various types of emotions and reactions and responses to life itself. And when you come into a situation, you come through it differently. You are almost equipped for trauma. You're almost equipped for chaos. You're almost equipped to be able to navigate the difficulties of life because of what you've gone through. And I just believe that the good that comes out of the bad to me I I know that some people say, Okay, you know, um the good days outweigh the bad days. Sometimes that's not always the case. But what is true is your response to what happens to you and your response to how you choose to respond to what happened to you. You can't control what has happened to you, but you can control how you respond to what has happened to you. What do you do as a little girl when you're looking at other people and you don't realize that your life is not normal, that it's abnormal for mommy to touch me there? But the society says that mommy doesn't touch little girls. Mommy doesn't touch her children. Mommy doesn't touch little boys. Mommy's either bathing or or grooming or doing something to the child's body, but she's not harming. She's not capable of harming a child's body. She's not capable of harming a child's psychological well-being or do anything, and, and I was reading when she was speaking about her sister. Her sister is, is kind of like a backdrop to the story, but she's also being preyed upon as well. But she left her sister's story for her sister to tell. She told her sister's story as a participant in her own life, but she still left room for her sister to stand up and tell her story. I don't know how that turned out. Maybe we'll find out. But Linda's on the line with us tonight, and if you would like to speak to her, ask questions, have comments for her, mind you, um, I will drop the call if your response is anything other than courteous and human. Towards her. But if you choose to call in and ask questions, the number to call in is 515 602 9668. The number to call is 515 602 9668. Ms. Linda Day, welcome to Patricia Adams Live. Thank you very much. Again. And okay, welcome. Yes, it's so good to have you back. And as we are talking about the purpose for this time coming back, we are 10 days away from Father's Day 2020. And the reason for this interview, for this show, this series of 10 days conversations and interviews. Not with Linda Day. I would have loved to have had her on for all 10 days as we got through this. But today is the day that she's able to be with us and talk about this. And as a little girl, she talks about her relationship with her father or the lack thereof. And she identifies him almost as if another piece of furniture in the house. Now, Linda, as a little girl, what would you have wanted your father to do that he didn't do? I I know that he's passed away as well as your mom. But And and the scenario that you did with the two chairs where you played the role of being the little girl and, and played the role of being the father. But now that you've gone through that exercise in your life, Again, if you had to have a conversation with your father, what would you say to him? What, what could he do differently that you believe would have made a difference in your life? Well,
0: um so I I asked him once, and his response was, well, I, I was waiting to talk to you until you could have a good conversation, and I'm still waiting. And he said that I guess I was, I don't know, 60 or 50-something. Uh, he just, um, I don't know, I think women probably made him uneasy, or I don't think he was particularly comfortable. His, his mother was apparently very severe. His own father deserted the two of them when my dad was just sick. Uh, so he had no good male role models. And um, he, he just felt like he was doing what he needed to do just to, you know, put bread on the table. Mother didn't work. Uh, and provide for it. So that was his job. And he didn't, I don't think he really believed he should have to do any more. I wasn't mean about it. This wasn't there. Uh, and I see yeah, you know, these heartwarming scenes on television when we're just in real life where dads are carrying their kids around. Uh, my son is a wonderful dad and he's always he plays with his daughter who's now three, um, all the time, does crazy things and, and just completely sweet and that's like, wow, that's just so cool and I wish I'd had that. Um, but I of course when you're little what's normal is what you've got. So you're not Looking around and saying, "Why is it my dad like, you know, Wanda's dad? Uh, why is my mom not like Henry's mom?" Uh, uh, whatever you've got is what's one. So that's how you that's how you set up your game board for the rest of your life, and you don't know what you're missing. And when you do, of course, you can't you can't fill in. You can't ever. Back and fill in those gaps, and I think a lot of our crazy behavior uh, in life is an attempt to fill in a childhood gap with a, a another adult who wasn't part of our childhood. And some holes are just holes, and you kind of learn how to how to live with it and and um, accept it. I mean, you can't you can't it's so easy to be angry, but you know what's the point? You can't do anything about it, so. Um, it's hard to get over being angry. Anyway, um, I, I met a, a young woman once. She was a little younger than me, not a whole lot. This was many years ago, and her father used to beat her regularly. and And she was very proud that she never cried. And she said, "I used to stare at the light socket in the wall, you know, the light, the outlet, the socket in the wall, and count how many times he hit me." um and she was a very angry woman. And I thought to myself,
1: <clears throat>
0: you are still staring at that light socket. <clears throat> and you need to, you know, get your vision. You need to leave that room, leave the light socket, leave the room look someplace else. But that's easy to say or judge on somebody else. I mean, that's really a hard thing to do in your life because, because that's your life, you know. So that's what you've got to work with. But that's a challenge for all of us, I think. I don't know does that
2: answer your question or well, it definitely opened up a different aspect of it, and overall though, is that the question that I guess I'm looking for an answer for is going to your father and saying... Daddy, Uh, mommy's hurting me.
0: Well, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that she was hurting me. She, I was just, I think her play toy and she was messing with me. And I, you know, I just didn't know that that was weird. And if you have no boundaries, if, you're, if, you're, if your mother treats you as an extension of herself or anyone who abuses you, it's really disrupting your boundaries. And I think even, even babies, youngest children, know when something is not right. I mean, they instinctively recognize that somebody, you know, that, that, that their boundaries are being violated. But you don't know enough about it to, to say anything or to talk to somebody about it because that's just the way things are. It just feels creepy, and you just lose, lose touch with who you really are and how you really feel because I mean, there's a lot of psychological abuse that goes along with uh, physical abuse. There's, you know, how can you say that? How can you feel that way? You should love your mother. You know, you know, you should appreciate me. After everything I've done, you know, done everything for you. Everything I've done is for you. You should appreciate me. Why can't you appreciate me? You're an ungrateful daughter. Uh, You know, you get all these messages that any problem that comes up is yours, and your parents are God for you in the beginning. I mean, um, there was something in a baptismal service at church I used to belong to that that uh, baptizing that the parents. Promise to to be a, a good God in that child's life, recognizing that they were the the primary the primary representation of God for a child. So if your you, your parents are are you know maltreating you, I mean even if you're being hurt, uh, it's kind of classic that the children who are abused will cling to the abuser because uh, life is dangerous and. trying to make them be okay and love you and you try that you you know it's an instinctive desperate desire to be loved and cared for by the people who are supposed to do that and uh, you're you know children are really victims they I couldn't have asked my father to care or to I couldn't have asked for any of that at that time and I mean, I couldn't even ask for that later, and I wasn't going to because I was, a, you know, a lot older, and I just, and and he was not able to give it. You know, I I mean, I asked generalized questions about, uh, well, like I like I was saying that that he didn't talk to me, he didn't relate to me, and and his joking response was, well, you, you weren't very smart then, you know, you. Were, Kids are boring. I was waiting until you grew up, and of course he was quote still waiting because he he was a real conservative person, and I was very liberal. So he he thought that was just nuts anyway. Um,
2: so in his know. response to you, or in his his in his mind. Was it that if he thought something was abnormal or he thought something was wrong or something was happening, that he was just going to wait until you got to be an adult to ask you?
1: No, well, he never noticed anything. He
0: thought his mother was doing a wonderful job. No, he never never noticed anything. He thought she was doing a wonderful job. uh, I mean, this all came out way later. You know, and I was visiting my parents in Florida. I was in my sixties late fifties I don't know uh, and and I had realized what had gone on I mean I was fifty two when I figured it out, so that's how long it took me to to really put all the pieces together um, and figure it out and so at the same time, you know, I didn't ever want to see him again, but I felt like I really wanted to see him. I mean, it's weird. You have all these conflicting emotions because there's a childhood thing that you just...
1: Oh,
0: excuse me. You think I'm the idiot to talk radio, but... <laughs>
2: uh, I know you're not. So...
0: No, I'm not, <laughs> really. I can, I can talk, you know. That's one of my things. I'm happy to talk. Ah uh, so um where let's I have to remember where I was now uh, oh, yeah, I was visiting my parents in Florida, and i and I was really clear about wanting to about my boundaries and protecting myself, and I was to stay physically away from because every time you know my mother would hug me or I would hug her it's a normal family kind of thing you do you hug goodbye or whatever right and she reached behind and slapped me on the butt you know grabbed my family kind of thing and so she did it I, I was there I would taken my son with me he was he was an uh, adult by that point and he was supposed to be my protector well anyways I said goodnight to him one night he and I and and uh, and she kind of slapped my butt as, on, as part of the goodnight hug, and it, uh, I got down to the car before I thought, "Man, I just I've got to say something about it." Uh, and I left my son there, and I said, "I'm going back," and went back, and I said, "You you can't touch me there anymore." I didn't touch you I didn't do anything I said yes you did He slapped my rear end Grabbed my fanny And you can't do that anymore It's not okay anymore He said well it was an accident It was an accident I said no it wasn't an accident She said well I am your mother I can touch you anywhere I want Okay And That kind of took my breath away I mean like what Um, And I said that's just wrong You can't do that you know dad was standing there and I said do you think that's normal he says oh sure that's normal that's fine I said so would that be fine if I just slapped your butt dad would that be just normal and fine oh sure that would be fine and it's like no it wouldn't what's the matter with you um so that so I mean he people have this enormous capacity for denial I mean let's get real about that um uh, you know, I think our political situation just brilliantly illustrates that. If you have eyes to see, uh, and we're not talking politics here, but denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Uh, and people see what they want, understand what they want, and uh, and when it all came, been, the next time I left that night, the next time, I saw them, which was the next morning. This was in Florida. I live in Houston. And uh, my mother threw a major tantrum and said, took, said come with me. He took me into the bedroom. Well, I shouldn't have gone. She have said, just talk. You know, say what... So then she said, so you're accusing me of being a child molester. And I said, well, you just said it. I didn't. And she went screaming in the other room. And it was a huge meltdown. And... Uh, my dad said, well, I'm sure she didn't do me anything by any, you know, he was just, and he had to live with her. He was, by that point, mostly in a wheelchair and um, heart disease, not not very mobile and, and probably a little befuddled. And so that was just it, you know. I was just, he died shortly after that, but probably hastened his death. And he forgot, the interesting thing is his memory immediately, which had been pretty good. It really went down the tubes after that uh, visit. And I was told from my aunt, who had talked to, her, talked to my mother, she was my mother's sister, that my dad lost, uh, you know, most old people, they're going to lose memory. They forget about recent things, but they remember their past, right, in nauseating detail. Um, and the past was what he forgot. He couldn't remember his children. I and mean, so that was his response. He, I mean, he had to live with her. He didn't have a choice. He never confronted her. He was a smart man, but not a strong man. And uh, so, you know, if you expect to have your parents admit their mistakes, I don't think they, you know, I'm not sure any of them ever do. I really. I think that's a, that is a terribly, tragically wasteful expenditure of time to try and get your parents to come around if they've been abusive, um, because they've done it, and it's shameful, and it's the most horrible thing in society, supposedly, so nobody wants to admit that. uh, uh you kind of you have to rebuild your life on your own, really. I think. So, so as that, you
2: were talking about that, as as you were talking about that, Linda, and his reaction and and response, and you said so shortly thereafter that implosion with your mother or explosion with your mother. I mean, to me, it's both. It's it's an implosion um, for me because you confronted her. And it's like, so you're saying that I am a child molester. That's what you're saying to me, your mother, after 52 years that I'm a child molester. That's what you have to say to me. (laughs) It's like I'm I'm standing in the hallway, and it's like <laughs> as you know, as this is going on because I mean, this is real for me to you know come and and hear you say this, and and then for some reason, the fact that the response that your father had to that, it's almost as if you said something that maybe triggered. Memory, you know, it's kind of like maybe certain things started to click for him, certain things started to um, think, oh, you know, I thought that that was her just doing this, but in reality, she was doing this, and I didn't realize it, and his it You know then at that point Like you said he was having health issues So his body And his nervous system Could not Handle the overload I'm just, I'm just supposing I'm just supposing well, I, and I, so, think I think that's probably true But here's, here's The thing of it is Is that as Father's Day is coming up. I really want the men especially. As Father's Day is coming up, is that to take a look at what it is to be a father, or a serious look at what it is to be a father. And mm-hmm. a father, um, the way that America says that a father is supposed to be today is not the way that I grew up knowing or believing that a father was supposed to be. So there's a very, there's so many different viewpoints and so many different ways to be a father today than there was when you and I were growing up.
0: But, well, that's right. And I think it's much more acceptable now for men to show their emotions and to have emotions and to be oriented toward children. I, you know, I'm not sure. My dad's day, what he remembered from the time he was old enough to work, you know, seven or eight probably, he was, he grew up on a farm, he was put to work. And he worked, when he, the day he retired, he didn't do anything after that except watch television. He said, I've worked all my life and that's (laughs) it. You know, I'm I'm watching Jeopardy out of my way. And and you could beat anybody on those shows. He was so smart. Um, And, uh. Hey Wes, do you wanna why don't you join the, the the golf club association? You could be president. He said, Nope, I'm not working, I'll play golf but I'm not so I just you know he he didn't he I'm not sure he really had a childhood. His mother his mother was a nurse and they made they survived by uh migrating between one house between all their relatives. It was in Maryland. And we have a zillion relatives back there. And uh, so his mother, they would, the two of them would migrate from house to house, taking care of sick or dying relatives in, in uh, return for room and board. So he was already mm. shouldering adult responsibilities even as a youngster. His mother never drove. He says he remembers driving from Kansas back to Maryland after a stint with Aunt Mary. Uh, in a Model T Ford at the age of 13. He was driving his mother across country. Uh, He probably could barely reach the pedals. Um, so, So he had... You know, I think you have to experience... Parenthood is passed on from generation to generation, and it helps to have experience having good parents in order to be one. You know, uh, My parenting was, I made a big conscious attempt at it because I knew that what I had received was you know, not right. There was an old lady who lived next door to me when I was really small and who treasured me. And that, I think, was the ultimate difference between me and my sister, who never got in touch with what had really happened and who was a, a really much more terribly ruined by the experience of growing up with our parents. Um, wandering Is she here. still
2: alive?
0: Is no, your sister still no. Did she still alive, that,
2: Linda?
0: No, she died um, in 2004, I think it was, or 2007 from alcohol mm-hmm. and drug abuse. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she was in bad shape. Um. And, um, yeah, and she was, it was interesting because she would call Mother every week and spend half an hour or an hour on the phone with her, but when I would go out to see her, Laura would get airplane reservations and then not go. <laughs> she did that about three times. She made big plans. We were all going to be there for Mother's 90th birthday, and then I was there, and she wasn't. Um, because she just didn't, you know, deep down inside her, she didn't want to be with her. Um, but she always defended her and she said I was a horrible person because I didn't. So, um, and... So your when father I, passed
2: I, away before your mother, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: He died yeah. at 87. Mm-hmm. She lived to be 98. She was a healthy old bird. Man, I'm not going to last as long as she did, but then that's because she didn't have to grow up with her. (laughs) Oh, Linda. (laughs) I wasn't expecting you to say that. I wasn't expecting you to say that at all.
2: And that's that. That's that's worth repeating. Is that she lived as long as she did because she didn't have to have herself as a mother. Yeah. Therefore, um, you know, the, There's the some choices. people dish it out and
0: other people would get to take it.
2: She was a disher. Yeah, yeah, she was a disher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I think that. One of the people in my life as a child that it had taken a really huge toll on me, right, to navigate life after them. Um, because mm-hmm. out of all of the people that are still alive, uh, that I mean, that are still alive, that did horrible things to me, this person has outlived almost all of them in terms of, in know, that family no dynamics.
0: if you have if you have no conscience, your mind is stress-free. Let me think about that, right? Everything you do is the right thing. Say
2: that again. That's, that's worth repeating. That's worth repeating. That's really say that again so that somebody else doesn't think Did Does she really say that. Yes. Repeat that again. Well, that, um, that if you have no conscience,
0: you have no stress in your life because you never do anything wrong. Everything you do is right, and other people are always wrong. It's always somebody else's fault, and so you don't worry. I mean, she she didn't have high blood pressure. She didn't lose any of her teeth. You know, she uh, if she hadn't broken her hip line dancing when she was eighty something years old, she could have lived longer. Who knows? But and she was still she even in, her, in her
2: because she didn't have her and mother. No. You know,
0: and she used to go. She had a. She moved into the nursing home because she wanted company, and she was she was living by herself in in the apartment. But she wasn't terribly mobile after she broke her hip, and and she got lonely, so she decided to go to the nursing area of the retirement community so that she'd have company. And she had a cart. She said I, they wanted her in the home because they didn't want the liability of her living independently. Um, and she agreed to go if they let her keep her cart. So she had a motorized cart and she'd get on that and tool around the whole grounds of the of the compound. She made friends with all the uh, workers, you know, all the, uh, the guys who worked on the grounds and stuff, the electricians and plumbers and caretakers and gardeners. Uh, she was their buddy. And what a wonderful woman she, what she was. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, my God, yes. So they thought she just walked on water. And, uh, and little
2: did they know who she really was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the true. sad thing about this is that they if you want vengeance or vindication, their life, give
0: that idea up because it's not going to happen. I don't think. You know,
2: not the, the 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 idea that the system itself, the system itself, has, in some ways, to me, it's systematic. It's systematic. I mean, we, we're not going to get into politics, but it's systematic because things can exist and I remember a co-worker said this to me and it was one of the most profound things and sad things that I had heard come out of someone's mouth and they said we only do right when we're legislated to do right Well, no, fortunately not everybody is like
0: that. There are some people Well, who not go everybody ahead
2: and is like that, it. but what I'm saying is that for their statement to me, I asked A question, and and I don't remember exactly what was going on at the time in the headlines or whatever. And, you know, we set the next cube over from each other, so we would always have these interesting conversations. He was a very uh, deep thinking person, so he would come up with some of the most bizarre conversations. And I don't know, in an attempt to bait me or whatever, but I would always hold my own with him. And he says, well, Patricia, we only do what we're legislated to do. If we're not legislated to do it, then by God, we're going to find a way. And, even if, and he says, and even if we are legislated to do it, we're going to try to find a way, a loophole around it. And you think of in the wake of um, Harvey Weinstein and of, um, what was the gentleman? um Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, Epstein. Yeah. yeah. And and all of this and you think of uh the Bill Cosby and you think of, you know, all these things, you know, um having the image of being America's I- ideal dad scenario. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people, a lot of families. it, it crossed cultures, it crossed races where people emulated the Cosby show. As what you know, an American family is supposed to be like, like they did with Leave with the Beaver, and it was like, you know, this is what normal is supposed to look like. And we yeah. we we look to the media, we look to shows, we look to uh, now we've got reality shows, and this is we take bits and pieces from that and we act it out in our day to day lives and think, well, this is what is supposed to be like or this is what I can make happen or, or this is what I want to have happen so therefore I'm going to recreate this episode in my life. And and I don't know where to say you can really point the finger at the things that are truly the dynamic, the need of the family for the father, for the mother, for the children in this country has gotten lost in reality. TV has gotten lost in yeah. um, uh, self, self, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. You know. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, you can sit and you can watch somebody's life on YouTube unfold every day, day in, day out. I, I do. I know for a fact that if your mom and your dad had have had a YouTube channel it would have probably looked absolutely perfect. Like, this is the perfect life. Oh, they did. Yeah, they were, mother, you, know. you know, was president of the PTA,
0: dad was a, a fairly high-level manager at Shell. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. Launches,
2: golf club, et cetera. Well, Light, yeah. camera, action. And then when the the lights and the cameras fade away, then nobody's watching. You know, nobody's watching. So everybody walks away with the impression, you know, what a wonderful family. Oh, my, you know, what a wonderful family. What lovely children. They're so well-mannered. They're so well-groomed. But not knowing that you were being sexually assaulted, sexually abused by your mother. And you feel that the father who was supposed to guide and protect and provide for you, you you say he was a provider, but as far as guiding your life and protecting you, he missed no point. No. No. There you know you had no you know no guidance from him on how to navigate your life. You had no protection from him because she can touch you anywhere she wants to because she's your mother. Well. Yeah no you know we we tell children about stranger danger you know don't let anyone touch you there don't let anyone do this don't let anyone do that but i was um say for instance you know if you go to the sex offender registry and you look up your address and you can find known sex offenders in your area within a certain radius right so oh, yeah you can You know, 99 people who have been convicted of sex offenses living within a five-mile radius of you and your family. But you are oblivious to that. But at the same time, what about the 100th person who's living in the house with you that has not been caught, that does not have? that's, That's the story that I had. And that's the story that's going on right now is that none of the people in your life or my life, were ever listed as sex offenders. They were never reported. That's right. They were never reported. So the numbers, to me, are skewed. When you look at the statistics that you can find on the World Wide Web of how many girls have been sexually violated and who's been the violator, how many boys have been violated and who's the violator, the numbers are not correct because you and I both know that we were never counted in the statistics yeah. and that the people that were harming us <clears throat> never were brought to you know, justice. And so if the opportunity a, had to, Yes? I uh, have a group of uh, friends,
0: six friends. There are seven of us. And one day this whole subject came up and and the other women started talking about that they'd been raped or assaulted. And uh, six six out of seven of us had been raped wow. or messed with. And maybe that yeah, was, was one astonishing. I had no recollection. Well, you know, I mean, six I'm just out saying, of seven. I'm just
2: saying. That's a lot. I'm just there saying. There are a I'm few people who grow up with loving families. <laughs> You know, in good circumstances. I know they're out there. I promise you I'm not. I'm just saying is that in? I'm just playing the advocate on the other side of the coin because it is so underreported. It is so underreported, and this has got to change. It's got to stop. And the way that we look at who can be – because I have – has the opportunity to, I don't know if you want to say counsel or talk with people, uh, go into transitional shelters, transitional hospitals, transitional housing, people who have either been admitted to a hospital because of drug abuse or attempted suicide, all these kinds of things, and have a conversation with them and on a Sunday know, I would I would go out and I would share the Bible with them and listen to them and have conversations with them and I would look around the room and so all the chairs lined up around the wall of the room and they're either shaking, they're trembling, they're sedated, they're in and out of it. And the youngest person was like sixteen, seventeen, the oldest person was seventy two years old. Wow. And if you hear the story of why they were there The 72-year-old used to be the 16, 17-year-old. And the future, if the 16, 17-year-old did not change their response to what was happening to them and what had happened to them would end up being that 72-year-old in the future. So I remember saying to them one day is that look around the room. Do you see yourself? Do you see your younger self? Do you see your future self? And are the people who have harmed you in this room? And they looked at me like they hadn't thought about it. I said, because those people are are getting up, having breakfast, having a great time, headed out to the mall. They've given no thought to what they've done to you to cause you to either want to commit suicide, cut yourself. Dope yourself. Calm yourself. They've given no thought to that. They will not be here to visit you today. They will go on with their lives. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice now that you take back the power that was taken from you and you choose a different response to what has happened to you. You get well, you get healed, you get whole. And remember that you now have the right, you have the right. You might be 16, 17, but pretty soon you're going to be considered an adult, right? And and that's how I would talk to the younger ones and to the older ones. And I'm like, you see these younger kids coming in here, you recognize your younger self. You have a responsibility to them to have a different outcome with your life and show them a better way. It's like everybody in the room take ownership of your life, but at the same time take ownership of how you portray your life in front of other people. Take ownership of that
0: Mm -hmm.
2: because somebody's watching
0: you. What in what capacity were you, were you working with these folks?
2: I was um, a minister. I was a minister, um, an ordained minister, and Mm if you would, pastor, and talking to them, and I would go and talk to women and men and the stories that they would share with me, and I could identify with them, and I could relate to them, and I could tell them is that, The only reason why I'm standing on this side of this podium is because of my faith. Not because I'm better than you. Not because the things that happened to you didn't happen to me. But the difference is is because of my faith and who I believe in. I could be sitting where you're sitting. But because of my faith and i believe in god and i believe that it has been god that has sustained me and kept me this far in my life and that's what i say to people is that it does not matter to me whether you believe what i believe or if you believe in who i believe in this is who i believe in this is my choice And this is what I attribute my success in life to. And the fact that I did not become what happened to me, nobody could have done that for me outside of me having a knowledge and a a personal relationship. That's, you know, I, I saw in your book, you know, where you talked about going to Sunday school, not being taken to Sunday school but being around someone that took you to Sunday school and the impact that that had on your life later in life. That, so there is a need for us to have a relationship with some thing that's greater than ourselves. There is there's a void inside of you to begin with, but then when you take assault and you take abuse and it further deepens that hole in you. And so you go out looking in life for somebody to satisfy that. You look for it in relationships. You look for it in profession. You look for it in, in, in anything that you can find. Like your sister, you know, she went looking for love in all the wrong places, all the wrong places. That song over and over again, it, it's almost like it's a, a sexual assault uh, anthem. <laughs> yes, it You should
0: know, be. <laughs> I know.
2: Yeah, did you know what I'm saying? It's like because... Everybody comes up the same way. And he says, you know, I I did what I did, because, but then you didn't really know love. You didn't know what love looked like. You didn't know what love was supposed to be like. You didn't know who was supposed to touch you and who wasn't supposed to touch you and how they were supposed to touch you and not touch you because the the boundaries have been broken. If your own family well, is touching you inappropriately. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, I think there was a
0: subtle, this is just my hunch, subtle difference between the way Mother treated me and the way she treated Laurel, because I think she really wanted a boy. I'm just judging from the fact that she needed a little blue sweater for me before I was born. Um, (laughs) In those days, of course, nobody knew. And uh, so I I was disappointingly female, and plus I had, you know, she thought I was really ugly when I was first born. She didn't want me. She told the nurses to take me back. She wasn't going to take me home, so she she didn't bond very well. Um, and so I think her messing with me had a kind of uh, angry edge to it. Whereas Laurel, she always described as the perfect Gerber baby, just you know beautiful from mm-hmm. the time she popped out, and and uh, cheerful and smiley and. So, for uh, you know laurel laurel was her fun little target, and mm-hmm. so laurel's uh sense of self was really tied up with her being a sexual person that's you know uh that's what she did, and she could seduce men just boom, I mean, I wish I hadn't mm. had a little of that i could have that would have been nice uh but she had this tremendous <laughs> sexual no, energy and confidence. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's you uh, <laughs> could be good and flirtations and having guys just falling all over you. It's that's an awesome ability, man. That's right up there with the superpowers. Uh, but that's she just thought that was the only value she had. Her
2: yeah, uh, self worked Did I yeah.
0: like I did? Her she told me once that her goal and was that's what I find way, fascinating. At when I read
2: that, I wasn't going to bring that up. But I found that fascinating that you guys were in white-collar jobs, you know, working for IBM, and you've had this life. It's amazing. We well, mm-hmm. never know. It's, it's just amazing because, again, that is not what the society would say to you. Somebody who has gone through what you've gone through should not have been able to function at that high of a level. That's what I'm saying. You know. Well, books because, were always
0: my escape, and sex and flirting was my sister's escape. She was plenty she, smart. She was probably smarter than I was. Mm-hmm. But, and I, mean, um, uh, so I was a nerd. I was very serious nerd and I, that's what I did. You know, you work and, you, and school, is, school is not like life. I mean, it kind of teaches you a wrong lesson because if you keep your nose clean at school and work hard and you can get good grades so you can then be successful at school. But the life, of course, requires you to get along with people and that was something that was always uh, uh, challenging. And still is because the older I get, the crankier I get. I was talking mm. to my minister the other day, and I said, oh, God, Laura, I'm afraid I'm turning into a cranky old lady. And she said, Linda,
2: you've always been cranky. (laughs) No. Oh, God, you have to come back on, Linda, honestly. You know, I know you said you don't want to do 10 days, but you have to come back on because the message is clear, but, you know, I don't want something this important to be buried, and you know, you were on I think what almost eight months ago, and oh, I want I to keep remember. having. It's about eight months ago, but I want to keep having this conversation with you. I do, and I did get Michelle Elliott's book as well, and um I want to keep having this conversation. I have other people that I've asked them, you know, for interviews. And, you know, they've all said yes. I have uh, one person who's an Olympian and um, another one, you know, who is also, you know. I I find that the people who have been, that I encounter are high-functioning individuals that have been sexually abused. For the most part, they're high-functioning. They may be, you know, alcoholics. They may have whatever other addictions that they have, but they're high-functioning. In their chosen career
0: path. Well, you you see now, like my sister, who was not high functioning. I mean, she ended up really living on welfare. She did, mm-hmm. um, and, and she was in California where they had enough of it. Uh, and she, she had a house. She had got a house when she when she had a job with IBM and was pretty high functioning. But then as she got more uh, debilitated from Alcoholism. I mean, she she could, didn't have a job. She couldn't keep a job. So, uh, and she wouldn't have she wouldn't have admitted that she'd been abused. You see. So I think the, if you're high functioning, you've come to some kind of assessment of your life, and you can talk about things. You you know, you, you can be a little more introspective and realistic. And if you're not functioning, if it's damaged you so badly that you that you're really messed up. Uh, then you probably are not going to ever really know what happened. My sister would have told you that nothing like that ever happened, that my parents were wonderful people. So, you know, I'm not sure what the point is. but I just made it anyway.
2: And and no, no, and that's fine because it's still the same scenario that I was talking about of being in the room with 16, 17-year-olds all the way up to 72-year-olds. Yeah. And then it's like um, the Kenny Rogers song, you know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to hold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. And and I don't know. It's like I can find a song.
0: (laughs) Oh, there's lots of songs out there, especially the country lessons. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes.
2: And, but at the end of the day, I need you to say yes to coming back on the show. Well, okay, we'll we'll talk about this,
0: okay? <laughs> we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, you know you how to went so i Dad, I wish you luck and everything and let me know what happens here. Do yeah. you ever hear you, ever, you, you ever do. get
2: call-ins on your show? Do people uh, call? Yeah. I I, I yes. Just, yes. I'm not yes. a pos- tonight oh. um to you know this this whole thing came about. It was I was thinking of, you know, what, oh, what impact I could make for the next 10 days. This is how this all came about. It was very Mm -hmm. impromptu. It wasn't something that I had really, really put a lot of thought into, but it was like Father's Day is about to come up, right, and fathers don't get the same level of love and respect as Mother's Day does. And at the same time, the dynamic of fathers that I'm connected to in different ways in social media who are dealing with a lot of different things and in life. And it's like I want to have a thought provoking conversation about fathers, good fathers, bad fathers, and different fathers.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I want to have a conversation about the things that happen to children of different types of fathers
0: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
2: as we come up to Father's Day
0: and well, I would, I, just, I would like to close with one thing which I think fathers are really important and I, I think if I had had a loving father that it wouldn't have really mattered what my mother was doing to me that I would have been fine I would not have crashed and burned so many times in my life if I'd had one parent, who I mean, even if he'd never figured out what she was doing, or had never, never figured that out, or uh, you know, acknowledged it, but if he had been a, he'd been as good a father. I'm, I'm jealous of my my granddaughter because my son is being a wonderful father. Don't to be, her. don't be. <laughs> you
2: know? I mean, I know, you, I know you don't mean that. I know you don't mean that no. in that way. But I just all wish I gotta like i, say I is, say had a good father. But thank thank God that she's got it because that's breaking a generational curse off of your life and off of your children's life. Do you know what I'm saying? Because when I sit back and I, I can go back pretty far in my family line and my family life and a curse has prevailed um, for generations in my family. Mm-hmm. And to see it being well, broken good for you. No, but I'm saying, no, it's not about good for me. I'm saying a curse has, that had prevailed in my life up until I became a mother. And I was able to break that and give um, what was not given to me, to give better than what was given to me. Yeah. It was yeah, my pleasure I mean. to what be able to do that. It was, and so you did the same thing for your son. And because you did that for your son, you broke that generational curse. So that your son could give it to your granddaughter. Can you imagine that? Like just suppose if your mother had been abused and you were abused and then now you've got a granddaughter that's going to be free of that. That hopefully she'll be able to become a wife and a mother or whatever it is and, and not pass that on. That's a beautiful thing to celebrate. Absolutely beautiful thing to celebrate that you were able to accomplish that. That's it. That is you. That's your accomplishment through your son. Well, thank you. I'll take that. Yes. I mean, honestly, because it could have turned out so much differently. You know, if if we can get um, a generation away from you, a, a, you know, a female, another female to come, and change the dynamic of your your family trajectory, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, it's like love on her. Give her everything that you can give her to equip her to keep the momentum going so that she won't become her great-grandmother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's there's so much on the line. There's so much on the line. So I hope that you will embrace that and enjoy that and celebrate him as Father's Day is coming up and tell him, you know, it's like, keep it up, keep it up. You know, and if he has more daughters, hey, you know, all the more, then that's another daughter um, that's there to make up for what your sister didn't get to do in life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all about breaking the generational curses. It, It really is. So, um, I'm glad that you were able to accomplish that. That is an accomplishment that you owe to yourself. That, look, you know, I was able to bring up my son without putting my hands on him inappropriately, sexually, or any other way, so that he could have now a relationship with his daughter that is not inappropriate. That's huge. mm That's huge. So I hope you'll come back on again and uh, you let me know when. And if it's within this 10-day window, I'd be happy to have you on. But if not, um, you know, like I said, I did not pre-plan this. It was like an impromptu idea. like what can I do? I need to do something. I I need to do something. And, you know, I've got 10 days until Father's Day, so I'm going to do a show every day up until Father's Day to have a conversation. Okay. So okay. people you know, okay. will listen. Yeah, people will listen and um as I just posted on one of my other social media platforms and you know, someone responded there as well. So I you know, I'm going to gain momentum as the days go by. So this is day two. So definitely, um, you know, tune in tune in uh, to some of the other shows because I'm going to try to make it at 10 o'clock every night, which is, you know, hopefully will work out. But if not, if I need to do it a little bit earlier, but every day up through Father's Day, uh, I, will I will be hosting a show.
0: On, do you post your podcast on the web? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the link that okay. I sent you, you can post that on your social media anywhere, on your website anywhere.
0: Well, that link didn't work. It didn't, I didn't connect to your site. So okay.
2: That's okay. What I'm
0: well. Anyway, well, that's something to work off Okay. All, all I'll
2: send it I'll send it again. Yeah, I'll send it again. Okay. Now that we've done the show, I'll send it again and it should work, okay? Okay. Well, thank you and you take Thanks, care and You too. Okay. Thank you. Um, Bye. Yep. Bye. You've been on the air with Patricia Adams Live and Linda Day. Thank you so much. And I hope that when you hear this broadcast, something has been said that will change your life. And remember, your response to life's difficult times is up to you. You choose how you respond to the difficulties in your life. Thank you and come again. Good night.
1: Stop.